Welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast that dives deep into important topics and fosters understanding by exploring captivating interviews with diverse guests, where we discuss how their unique experiences have shaped them into the individuals they are today. This podcast is committed to having honest and thought-provoking conversations to arouse curiosity and convey essential messages of empathy, inclusion, and diversity, one conversation at a time. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I am thrilled to be welcoming Beth Bass. Beth is a true trailblazer in her own right. Her remarkable journey began at Converse, where she rose from a promotional specialist to becoming the National Women's Sports Director. She then made her mark at Nike as the Women's Basketball Marketing Manager before taking on the role of Executive Director and then CEO at the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. Beth's journey reached new heights when she joined Adidas as the U.S. Director of Women's Sports Marketing, where she played a pivotal role in expanding the Adidas brand across all levels of women's sports in the United States. In this episode, we dive into Beth's experiences from her time as a standout player at East Tennessee State University to her role as a graduate assistant in marketing and promotions at the University of Tennessee under the legendary coach, Pat Summit, And we even talk about what it meant for Beth to be inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Throughout our conversation, you'll feel Beth's profound passion for women's basketball, and it is a privilege to have her join me today on the podcast. Please enjoy this episode. Listeners, before we dive into today's conversation, I want to tell you about my new favorite kitchen gadget, the Berry Blaster. I don't know about you, but I love fresh strawberries during the warm summer months. The only downside is I hate how much fruit is wasted when you cut off the top of the strawberries. Well, I recently found the Berry Blaster, which helps prevent fruit waste. And all you have to do is pop off the tops and your berries are ready to eat. You don't need to be a savant in the kitchen to use the Berry Blaster, and it's even safe for children of all ages to use. The best part is the Berry Blaster contains no sharp knives, it's dishwasher safe, and it takes up little to no space in your kitchen. To learn more about the Berry Blaster, visit the link in this episode's show notes or go to Amazon and search Berry Blaster. Lastly, check them out on Instagram at the Berry Blaster and give them a follow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Beth, thank you so much for joining me on For Your Listening Pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I understand that you grew up in the South, but for someone who has dedicated their life to women's athletics, especially with basketball, you were lucky in a sense where your brother always included you into sports. Would you mind talking a little bit about what life was like for you growing up? Oh, well, thanks, Mallory, for having me on. It's such an honor. And I love chatting about, especially this subject, but, you know, growing up in the South in Hartsville, South Carolina, um, it's about an hour and a half inland from uh, the coast. And uh, yeah, I was very fortunate that um, my brother, Robert, was three years older than I was. And um, I don't know if my parents threatening, but they, you know, he didn't mind even for this is way back in, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. I don't want to give my <laughs> actual age out. I'm still very, very young. Um, and like he he didn't, you know, whatever sport was in season, we would play that, you know, after church or after school, whatever. And not only being younger, but also a female, he um, he never reminded me tagging along and, and playing. And I was always 
included with his friends who were could be 10, 12, 15 years old in Iowa playing, you know, pick up basketball, baseball, sandlot baseball, um, or, you know, football, whatever it was. And, and so um, that really uh, made a, a, an impression on me as I think back about it. Um, and so uh, I remember sitting in church and I would uh, write him a note, the, the kind that you, you know, used to do like in grammar school, like, hey, are we going to play over at Tom Matthews yard? He had a big front yard and uh, I would, I learned to be manipulative very early with this situation. I would put yes, never put no, maybe. Right. So that I never would hear no, but uh, that was really, really uh, profound. And I, uh, I look back on those times that uh, I was given that opportunity to play um, and get some reps in because there's no little league back then. There was, you know, no recreation for, for girls really. Um, so that was, that had a, a huge impression on me and, and his, his, uh, he's allowing me to do that. <clears throat> you know, Mallory, you know, you do all these conventions or seminars, self-help or, you know, whatever, uh, personal development. And, it was years ago, and they asked this question: What was the when was the first it was on leadership? When was the first goal that you could uh, recollect that you set for yourself? And and I uh, thought about it and thought about it. It was really easy because I remember my first two goals. Back to my brother Robert. One, I wanted to be picked by him when choosing teams, and because that thought that would be really that was my first goal in my life. I remember cognitively setting and the second one was uh to uh oh no the first one was not to be picked last that's what it was and I feel bad about the other guys a couple of guys that their parents probably made them go play I, I want to you know how they're doing because I I never was picked last so that was my first goal my second one was that my brother Robert would choose me on his team and both of those happened so that's just a little follow-up from uh that your first question well, I think Robert probably had a little bit to do allowing you to play with them getting into, you were a four-year winner of the women's basketball letter at East Tennessee State University. You played from 1980 to 1984. What was that like playing in college athletics? I know that you had some knee issues, but overall, what was that experience like when you look back at it? Uh, well, I was so lucky to get a scholarship, you know, Title IX came in in 72. I graduated and got, got, a, um, got a scholarship, like you said, at East Tennessee State University, which was like really seemed, you know, five and a half hours from where I grew up. And everybody else was hanging around. Most of them were going to Clemson or University of South Carolina. And uh, I got to meet uh, Coach Kayow, the, uh, the iconic coach that's no longer with us. Um, at, at North Carolina State, I went to a, a, a camp at Campbell University, and I met Kay Al, and I went to all her camps, and then I asked how I met Susan Yao, who was her younger sister who coached at East Tennessee State, so that's how that kind of re recruiting, how I went from Hartsville, South Carolina to the Tri-Cities in uh, East Tennessee State, um, and Kay Al, if you don't know her, is probably one of the most diplomatic and kind human beings in the world. And uh, I wanted to go play for her. And uh, she, she basically said, I didn't have that skill set. And, but she wanted me to go play for the farm team, <laughs> AAA over at, uh, at East Tennessee state. So it was just, 
the Yao family is very dear to me and Coach Yao and that those four years. And I, I ran into some knee injuries and uh, I always laughed. I played in between the knee injuries, but still it was an incredible uh, opportunity and, you know, a, a scholarship and being in a different part of the, the country. And obviously it led to some a golden and blessed trail for me from East Tennessee State. So let's talk about that trail because you have worked for not only some iconic brands and we'll definitely dive into that one brand that's on my bucket list, but then you've also worked side by side with some impactful and game-changing literally coaches. You know, you left college. What was your next step? Uh, um, So after East Tennessee State, um, I Back then, you you know, you made a little money. You could go work camps in the summer, and everybody would just kind of get on the road together, and you'd go work at, at KL's camp at NC State. Then you go work East Tennessee State camp, and then you would go work. Um, and I met some. Uh, I met Coach Summit, and but I met Lee Henry and Mary Ostrowski, um, all Americans from University of Tennessee, Pat Hatmaker, um, and we just got to be fast friends in the, on the summer camp circuit, and. So Johnson City and Knoxville, not that far apart, like less than two hours. So, you know, we kept in touch and hung out. And uh, I met uh, Debbie Jennings, who was the head of the sports information director back at University of Tennessee. And at a casual, you know, we call it the strip in Knoxville at University of Tennessee. And she said, for the first time ever, I've got a graduate assistantship in promotions and that was the first one that she had heard about for just women's sports. Of course, University of Tennessee would be one that was kind of leading the way. Promotions is what we used to call sports marketing, right? So I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And then, uh, so that's how I ended up at University of Tennessee. They only had seven women's sports at the time. Um, so, of course, I got to work with those sports, but I got to work uh, probably 70% of the time with uh, with Pat, Pat Summit. So, that's, I don't think that's ever hurt my resume and uh, got this, you know, Joan Cronin, the athletic director emeritus, Knoxville, um, just, I got to work a great deal with her. So it was, uh, that was a a truly like a a real lift and uh, opportunity that I will never, ever take lightly of uh, having that experience. So what I find so interesting when I speak with athletes is when you realize you're not going to make it at that professional level, but the game has been part of your life for so long, most of them go into coaching. You didn't want to coach. You have never coached a day in your life, but you've always had basketball, women's basketball, especially part of your life. Why did you make that conscious decision that you didn't want to go down the coaching route? Granted, you could have had and you did have a lot of amazing mentors who were badass female coaches in the game, and you could have been mentored by them to coach, but you chose a different direction. Did you know you didn't want to coach, or did that just not appeal to you? I knew, and this we're probably getting this a little bit more self-reflection um, and not being real secure with who I was um, at the time, you know, just when you're, when you're young, I had an amazing high school coach that I really, they didn't have a a junior high program or middle school program in Hartsville. So coach 
Pat uh, Hewitt. I have to always slow down, and that's so similar, Coach Pat Hewitt and Coach Pat Summit. So two T's at the end. So she allowed tryouts for us seventh graders to come, and she was trying to build her pipeline and to grow her program in high school. And so I had I played only one year um, in middle school. I I couldn't play on the high school level, but I was able to practice with them and travel with them. And that was a crazy good experience. And then I, you know, made the team as my freshman year at the, at Hartsville high school. And so having Pat Hewitt and then meeting the Yao family and then meeting Susan Yao at East Tennessee state, and then meeting Pat summit, I was like, I can't, you always like you know, two things I knew I never wanted to do was have kids and to coach because I kind of felt like my parents always said, "Oh, we just always wanted you to have a better experience and and life than we had, have more opportunities." And I don't think I could ever be a better parent than my parents, and I don't think I could ever coach better than those I was exposed to. I think that, does that I don't know if that even answers your question. I just no, want to. I, I think mean, I just knew I never. Does. I mean, I was like. It never appealed to me. But one thing at, at camps, you know, you always had a team, right? And uh, I just didn't, I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right? So I couldn't be, I couldn't, you know, be a badass, a hard ass. And, you know, wh- whose parents are here today? You know, you get to go in. Whose boyfriend, whose uncle's here? You get to go in and, you know, everybody had a nice experience, but I don't think I would have been very successful as a coach. No, I think that makes sense. I think as you're starting to grow and develop and think about what you want to be, you're starting to look at your strengths and also weaknesses. And just we've spoken before, but even right now in this recording, the amount of empathy that you have would probably hinder you making those tough judgment calls that you know you should make. But in the back of your mind, you're like, well, her parents came and it cost them everything and she should really get game time. But we kind of do need to win this game. So I think you were able to say, this is not the road for me. I wouldn't be what the team needs as a leader. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and like some people knew that they wanted to co- you know, play and coach. And I know we're probably, we talked earlier, like I can say it now, but like I was already self-shaming or I had my perception, not self-shaming, but I was, um, you know, homophobic to myself you know like everybody everybody thought that every PE teacher was gay right um it's, it's so funny I you know still people oh you remind me of my PE teacher you know on planes trains automobiles wherever you are you know and I say well I, you know I used to used to bother me and I'm now to say God, I hope she was really nice and you know it was a really good you know teacher but uh I, I do think I uh didn't want to be a remembered as a dumb jock, this major, major in physical education. As you know, we've talked, I majored in political science, but I love history. If you're okay, because you hit on it a little, and I was kind of waiting for you to open the door. You came out later in life to your parents. Um, you mentioned that you were not open and out, and you were dealing with that internal struggle about, do I share it? Do I not? And I think everyone's journey is personal. But you also kind of just hinted on, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't want to live up to that stereotype of, oh, you're a female basketball player or if you, oh, so you must. And um, 
and you just mentioned PE and it, that's, those are stereotypes and you didn't want to fall into it, but you also wanted to be authentic to yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Cause my hope is, is someone's listening who might realize they don't want to live up to that stereotype either, but it's nice to really live your authentic life regardless of what people think. Well, I do. I gosh, if that if one person was out there listening and could glean a little bit of support and uh, from anything I say about this subject, because you know, I hope people will be more um, open minded and open hearted and um, this day and time. But it was just it was being a, a a young female, even trying to you know work go into the workforce and I knew I, I liked marketing, sports marketing, and I knew I loved athletics and and sports. So I thought that would be an incredible job, but I mean, I didn't have any mentors in that area. Right. So, um, so I think you were like, you, you had to work harder than, you know, than a, a male had to, and you had to be better than a probably back then a white male and a black male to get the job and a, and a white straight woman. So when you put, kind of put that in perspective, you get this kind of paranoia and pressure on yourself and anxiety to not screw it up for anybody else coming along and, you know, in the business world, corporate world. And I got that opportunity early and I realized how fortunate I was. And um, so I, I wanted to make sure I didn't embarrass anyone. And it was so much fear and um, insecurities around being gay and being from the South and my mother was like, you know, if you said Southern bell, you know, you would, she'd be the illustration digitally she, or her own. You she know, would tattoo. be on the, in the dictionary under Southern bell there. Southern be bell. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, so it was just, it was, a you know, I, like I said, I had a, an amazing family childhood parents and, uh, friends growing up and, uh, it was, you know, like I said, I didn't want to let anybody down. I sure didn't want to uh, bring shame or uh, embarrassment to them. So I think that was another um, reason for going, you know, a different route and not wanting to be a physical educator. But now we know physical education is so different. You've got kinesiology, physiology, you've got, you know, I'd listen to them. It's, it's, a, it's a very impressive, you know, major Oh yeah, absolutely. Some of them, it's like going to med school without, you know, cutting someone open. You're still understanding every part without of the body. The, yeah. Without the paycheck. Yes, that is true. Um, I don't even know if doctors really get that paycheck anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Let's call spade a spade. But you ended up going to sports marketing before that term became cool or flashy or what we think now of sports marketing. And you moved up to Boston, which I'm sure was a shock weather-wise. Um, also accent wise, a little different from where you grew up, but you worked at Converse and you got to work at Converse when they were the sponsors of the U.S. basketball team. And you were really on the ground when these larger scale sponsorships start to really pop up. What do you remember about your time at Converse? And then we're going to talk about where you went after, which is my dream company. Yeah, um, I can't wait because I know you could bring up air. Um, the movie, um, at Converse, like when I, when I left University of Tennessee and Pat had just in 84, before I got to Tennessee, she just won a gold medal in LA, uh, in the Olympics. 
And um, USA Basketball was sponsored by by Converse Incorporated. And that's when we made performance product. Now they're mostly just, you know, um, athleisure. Some people call it, you know, kick arounds. Um, and so Pat was with USA Basketball through the Olympics and, and uh, Converse was a sponsor. So they courted her all during, the, you know, the Olympics. And so, so she, they said, Hey, you come with Converse, we'll do this, this, and this. And also you'll help us pick someone to call on the account. And I was on my way to work for Procter and Gamble. And um, I thought, gosh, I just got my master's. This sounds like Procter and Gamble. That's pretty cool. Right. So, and she, and coach summit calls me up and I can remember you, right? Like, the moment she goes bass do you really want to go sell cookies and cakes like you know like <laughs> duncan hines and i went uh no but i'm very appreciative of the opportunity she says well i come into the office i think i got something better for you um converse might be hiring a person uh, a promotion athletic specialist that was my first title and i had a a, a quarter of the country um to cover. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I was supposed to start September 15th in Houston, believe it or not, with Procter & Gamble, where where Kroger is based. And I went to Boston and started September 15th. Um, yeah, I always am bilingual. Uh, I speak mainstream English and Southern. I don't think they understood me. I mean, they really did. Their mouths would just drop and they would go, where are you from? You know, so and it, you was, were, uh, it was, you, it was phenomenal. You were there for almost 10 years and then right. for a long time. And that was like during part of the Jordan era in the early nineties and the basketball era. Um, but then you ended up at my beloved Nike, which people have heard me and I've been manifesting like that is my dream company to work for, especially in marketing. Cause when you think of marketing, at least for me as someone who is a marketer, their marketing makes you feel something. They're like, I'm not a runner, but when I watch those commercials, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go run a mile. Like, right? it's not and my thing, but you just made me want to go do that. And you really specialize in women's basketball sports and the marketing endeavors. Can you talk about what that was like um, for you? Yeah, well, first of all, like I said, those nine years, I love Boston you know, working with Larry Bird at the time, Julius Irving, Dr. J, you know, like you said, USA basketball, which is the Olympics. And I called on University of Tennessee women's basketball, University of Texas, Jody Conrad. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, that's a good gig. Right. And I knew it. I've always had being fortunate to be able to kind of keep my head over my heart and my feet and say, not everybody gets to do this and you know, be able to stand in the moment and go, Wow, I'm watching somebody get a gold medal. Wow, I'm you know, I'm in you know the locker room at an NBA All Star game. You know, um, and so it, if I if I went to heaven after those not you know almost ten years at Converse, I, I was incredibly grateful. And then um, I got the call from Ray Pond, who was working at Nike, um, who I knew through the Women's Sports Foundation, and. She says, I got, my boss wants to call you and can I have your home phone number? And, and I went, are you kidding me? I've been waiting all this, you know, all my life to get a call from Nike, but, you know, 
And sure enough, Sue Levin um, called me, and we were both going to the Women's Sports Foundation dinner, which is the the Oscar of sports, women's sports. And if anybody, it's the best kept secret. It's it's a phenomenal event at the Waldorf Astoria in New York. And so we met for lunch, and uh, she hired me as uh, the first. I got my card over there. Women's category manager for women's basketball and sports marketing. Um, and then that was just a magical time, except that I had to move to Portland. And I think I told you, I would, I'd like to have stayed longer. Um, it it was just a fascinating company when you can peek behind, you know, like the Wizard of Oz and peek behind the curtain and be able to go to the berm behind the berm and that campus. I mean, if you think you feel good and motivated about a, a spot or an ad campaign, I swear I thought I, you just got smarter, <laughs> you know, oh. when you walk on that campus. I mean, and uh, it was it was uh, it was a lot of fun and it was an incredible time. Um, 95, 96, 97 to be with Nike and host a home Olympiad in Atlanta. And it was the launch of the ABL and the WNBA after that and the halo effect. And it was like, we knew we had lightning in a bottle. Just to be at Nike at that time in 97, you got Michael coming and you have Kobe coming on the scene and that, and you're seeing like this new generation of younger players starting to come up and Shaq was at the Lakers too. And it's just such exciting time, not only in basketball, but then also women's basketball, really. And I've been so excited to talk to you because I'm from Chicago, the Chicago Sky. They won the championship and you're seeing a lot more um, also, you know, U.S. women's soccer, like demanding equal pay and getting the recognition for, as athletes as they should get that respect. But from that point to now, how do you feel about women's basketball, and women's sports? Like, are you happy with the direction it's going? You've done so much more for the sport since then but i'm just out of curiosity um oh my gosh I'm, I'm, it just blows my mind i'm gonna, I'm gonna pull your heartstrings here and, and like i want to give a shout out to uh one of the best campaigns i ever saw for women's sports of course came from nike and i was still at congress so i'm at a, I'm, a, I'm at a competitor and i remember laying in bed it was kind of late and it and i we're gonna have to post it it was if you let me play and I mean, you know, Nike was the, you know, the evil empire. And I just went, I mean, I started crying like, oh my gosh, I have finally lived to see an authentic campaign that, you know, like only how Nike can talk to their audience and the brilliance of Wyden and Kennedy. I mean, their, their agency on record and the, the campaigns they've done and, uh, it's just they've always set the bar, I believe, and I can recognize Wyden Kennedy's work in non, you know, non, uh, non-competing categories. I can just tell it's Wyden Kennedy. It was extremely special, and to, then to work, you, you know, you knew all the Olympic Olympians in '96 because there was like a a huge tour we did to play colleges, and that was the, the brainchild of. David Stirr, but mostly Val Ackerman, um, who was the, the second in command at the time for David Stern. Now she's at the Big East. 
and Val put that together and to launch the W you know the WNBA and, and the timing couldn't be any better. And so I got to work with Cher- at Nike. I got to work with Cheryl Swoops, Lisa Leslie, um, Teresa Edwards, who I just adore and only gave her product at Converse for nothing. Bless her heart. Um, who was it? Let's see who else? Katrina McLean, one of the best post players ever. You know, she was Georgia. And number five, oh, Ruthie Bolton that played at Auburn. Um, so those were our five at Nike. And then at Converse, I was able to sign Nikki McRae, who just recently passed, Carla McGee and Katie Stedding. And uh, they also made the team. And, you know, that year was, was I again, it was like, if you let me play that campaign, then I walked in the office. And for the first time ever in my nine years, my boss, Roger Morningstar, who was the vice president, he played at University of Kansas. Great guy. I, he goes, hey, I'm giving you $50,000 to go out and sign three three uh, collegiate players or anybody overseas because we didn't have a pro league. They were overseas. You can divide up any way you want to. You can do 50000 to one player. And I was like, I cannot screw this up. So that was the first time I got earmarked money to, to sign college basketball players, not teams. You so, had you had your own little version of air. You weren't designing shoes, but you were really looking at where are the players, where's the game going, oh, like well, who are going to be role models for young girls coming up in the game. And I'm sure that was a lot of responsibility for you being like, I got to choose not only great athletes who I think will perform, but also marketable athletes, those that represent the future of the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, but let me tell you, I could, I'm not a good person to scout, but I, again, back to relationships. I just talked to a lot of coaches. I talked to the, I knew the committee. And back then Tara Vandeveer from when Stanford was the first experiment that she would take a year off, which is just unheard of, you know, from, her championship winning um, NCAA winning team. And she did a whole year, the campaign that when we played all the college um, universities as a warm up and to get the excitement. I mean, it was, like I said, it was, it was very innovative um, and a phenomenal idea from the WNBA uh, NBA. And so uh, in the Maori, the crazy thing, I, I have been thinking about this a lot with the passing of Nikki McRae, who played at, at Tennessee Um uh, we had to sign before they made the team. If not, collective bargaining with USA Basketball, they would have to wear Nike. Because, you know, I mean, or like, they, or they'd have to be, you know, it was crazy. Like the pressure was, it was, it was something. So, um, and I, I wrote about this, it, that uh, that's what, co- that was what uh, caught Sue Levin's eye at Nike. She says, you know what? We went through the agents, through the agents, to sign our players just, you know, and we can write the checks, but that person got three players from own relationships. And, but that was pretty intuitive by Sue Levin. Yeah. Well, I think marketing is such a relationship business and people don't realize that it's understanding the consumer. It's understanding the company you're working for the project you're on. It's really understanding all aspects and who can you call when you need advice or insights and it's 
having those relationships and that network, it's so important. And I think that your journey has really shown that. And you left Nike, as you mentioned, you feel like maybe you should have stayed a little longer, but you went and left for a great opportunity. You were the executive director and chief executive officer for Women's Basketball Coaches Association. So that's completely a different role. You left Nike, the GOAT, and you're starting to really focus on like basketball and women's basketball coaches. Like what made you want to take on and how did you feel about taking that executive role? Well, thank you again for that question because Converse was a big sponsor at with the WBCA, Women's Basketball Coach Association. And I love that they were doing that before I even got there, right, at Converse. So I got to know the WBCA. I got to know coaches that were not even in our product because we, you know, we would throw a party, right? Or I'd be hanging out in a gym watching, you know, recruiting camps with them. So it didn't matter what product we in. Everybody knew everybody. So, um, and Sylvia Hatchell was at University of North Carolina. I've known her for, for years. And as you know, she won a national championship at UNC. And uh, she was the incoming president. And she called me and said, I know you want to come home. And she knew that, like I said, I, I love everything about Nike, except that the ocean's on the wrong side <laughs> of the country. you know. And uh, so I, I moved to, to Atlanta. So that's how that happened. Like I said, she's been, you know, Everybody knew, you know, so she, I got that job and I knew Betty James, who is the godmother of women's basketball when it, um, I, in my mind, and it was kind of like, you could be the executive director to, to Betty. The sport was exploding and Betty needed help. I mean, she started this little organization with $3,000 budget, that $30,000 budget, 300 members. And now it's 5,000 members, your convention expo and everything is at the final four you know and it became it became a real engine or platform for rule changes you know the governance with the ncaa growing the game you know we we thought our shingle did everything the wca you know so it was, that was a very exciting time and an amazing opportunity but as, as i was hired as executive director i was kind of the heir apparent to become the ceo and um I hated to lose, leave the corporate world, but this was like running my own company without my money, but I was responsible for raising the money, right? And I, maybe if I look back, I had no clue about not-for-profit. Well, that's interesting you say that because in 2007, you helped launch one of the most successful grassroots marketing mm -hmm. campaigns for breast cancer awareness. And what's crazy is I remember when this launched, when I say the tagline, I'm sure listeners are going to be like, I know what that is, but you're the person that came up with that, which blew my mind when I was starting to research. And that was Think Pink, um, now known as the WBCA Pink Zone. Yep. Talk to us about that. Because that, I remember that in 2007, I was 17. Um, but I remember that Think Pink and seeing it everywhere. And especially with like women's basketball. And now I'm talking to the person who helped launch that. The, yeah, that was um, another time that opportunity met preparation and hard work. And, and, uh, and I wouldn't, I didn't, 
my executive committee gave me the permission to run with it. A Doug Bruno said, let's do a thing, thing, you know, because we couldn't, we had to act because Kay Yow's uh, breast cancer came back during the season and there, she was just so beloved. And she said, you know, and Beth, if you can help me, I want my nature nation of coaches and friends to help kick this cancer's ass. She would never say that. Um, and so Debbie Antonelli, who with, as you know, you know, does a lot of ESPN and she played for Kay Al. She called me and said, we got to do something. We talked to coach Al, talked to my executive committee. And um, it was just a natural, you got Jim Balbano, unfortunately at NC state, you know, but he started the, you know, that Jimmy V started. And so Kay loved, you know, Valvano and Carol Stiff, who was the vice president of ESPN at the time, our partner at the WBCA and the NCA. I can't tell you the major lifting because ESPN doesn't sponsor anything. And so it just Carol at ESPN, the NCA coming with Sue Donahoe with the vice president of the NCA and the WBCA. It was powerful. It, it, aside, Think Pink moved to WBCA Pink Zone in 08 because we had to rebrand because we were about to get Sue from Delta Zeta uh, or I don't know, but they that was their Think Pink. I'm not going to say that because I'm a Kappa Delta. It was like their philanthropy. Yeah, they had a think something. Yeah, it was like their philanthropy concept. Yeah. yeah. And so we knew it that it was gonna come and we were just waiting on the day. And so that's why we rebranded. And now it's the play for K with the Jimmy V, which to have ESPN and Jim Valvano, WBCA, and I think they've raised over eight million dollars. <laughs> and that's something. That is such a legacy and such an impact when you think of how many people are affected by breast cancer and how much that money goes to help uh, individuals and family and hopefully for research as well. What I love too about your story is you hit the trifecta in sports companies. First Converse, then Nike. The last one for the hat trick is Adidas and you made it there. You were the U.S., senior manager for NCAA Collegiate Partnerships. And you did get affected by the pandemic like so many other people, but you were there for four years and I believe you had to move back to the other no. ocean. No, you got to stay. They let you I stay. I got to stay. It was the perfect oh, nice. job. I got to stay in Atlanta. I got to write my own job description. I said it was one of the best scholarships of my life, four years at Adidas. I could go out to Portland and enjoy it. Portland's beautiful four months out of the year. It's majestic, you know, like July, August, September, right around there. Yeah. And doggone that during pandemic. Um, I hate it. I'd love to work from tomorrow. I hope you tell them that. Yeah. Great. I mean, yeah. it's all about people and the brand, you know, um, Adidas, you know, it's a, it, they're based in Germany, Nike special because of, of Phil Knight. Um, and, so it's just different cultures. I have been ex exposed to just, I, I think Adidas and Nike made great products, um, both of them. Converse, we we made you lose some 
some toenails. Yeah, but then they got acquired by Nike. So they're part exactly, of the Nike like, family and they represent, you know, they're great. I know a lot of weightlifters like to use it because it's a flat sole and it's great yeah. for weightlifting. So it has its place. And I think technology kind of bumped Converse out of the basketball realm. But for a long time, Converse was king on the court. But besides working for all these amazing brands, I have to shout you out because you were inducted to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2019. So congratulations on that and I was going to ask you about those rings. Oh wait, a minute. sorry. It looks like it's an NFL Super Bowl. I I was going to say they look nice and big. Can you? What are they? Back to my brother. Okay, the first one is this is University of South Carolina. His class ring, because uh, he's passed and uh, he lost every bit of jewelry, watches, whatever he had. Even lost his wedding band a couple of times, but. He never lost this. So when he passed, I'm like, that's mine. So he was a Gamecock through and through. And this is the Hall of Fame that the Hall of Fame gave me, but it's really large. I think my finger's so fat that they thought I was a dude. And I got the men's version because I've seen other people I'm like, why is mine so big? So I got I to gotta reboot that. <laughs> No, it's big because you deserve it. Like people should be seeing it. Like everything you've accomplished and kind of helped set within the women's basketball world. Um, I'm waiting for like your memoir to come out, to be honest, because you, you've watched the game of basketball evolve, especially within women's sports. And you've worked with such amazing, influential people and you've also done so much too, and I'm sure have mentored so many others. And we could be on all day talking about your stories. Um, I want to be really mindful of your time because I know you're busy, but I've just really enjoyed speaking again to know you as someone who not only loves marketing, but loves sports and Nike. Um, it's been fascinating to not only research everything you've done, but been able to have a conversation with you about it. So thank you. Well- Thank you. And I know we'll get into some rapid fire, but I, I yeah. wanted to, um, we, we touched on, I had my notes. I oh yeah. We, you and I connected over our love of history and our fascination with World War II. And I mean fascination in a different way. Um, listeners have heard me say I'm a grandchild of two Holocaust survivors. I went to the University of Illinois for undergrad And my minor was in Holocaust and genocide studies. I've actually had my former professor on the podcast, and we talked a lot about his um, upbringing, and he's written several books. Uh, His episode, his name is Peter Friche, and we talk a lot about not only what I learned in his classes, but just kind of like the state of um, World War II and how propaganda was really used and you know, over the last few years, politically, we've seen certain types of propaganda used again in media at large. But you mentioned to me that you have read so many books on the Holocaust. And it's something that you and I connected about during our prep call, which I that's one thing I love about this podcast is you can have different backgrounds, grow up in different areas. But when you get in conversation, you realize you might have shared interests or shared books together that we both have read. So that was like a fun surprise for me. And I owe you some books. I know that. Well, gosh, I, yeah, again, back to my brother. Um, 
extremely smart, amazing recall and retention. And he, um, he, he my uncle Ernest, Ernest T. Bass, which is funny, um, served in World War II as a, as a, a pilot. And, uh, and so Robert got so into that. Right. And, uh, my uncle, they, my, all he had was four girls. So Robert was like his adopted son there. So again, Robert's influencing what I listen to read and, and so I think uh, that definitely where that came from. And I'm excited to continue this friendship and we can talk more yeah. about it because it's, you're right. Like history does repeat itself. And the more I talk to people about their shared experiences or their family's history, it's like, wow, you're seeing that regardless of what race you are, religion you are still play out in today's society. And it's educating yourself about people's histories that allow you to change the future hopefully it is it is interesting like you know was, i needed to learn more about world war one and i was shocked as i started kind of you know during the pandemic or whatever dipping my toe into world war one more is it only you know we were only in the war we were isolationists forever 18 months right and like i didn't know that i think it was uh the remaking of uh all quiet on the western front god yeah it was i was like um, so it's been, it's been fun, but I know you can cut this out, but I, I wanted another season, another season of Man in the High Castle. I just watched that like this year. I don't know yeah. how I missed it. No, I know. It's wild to me. Um, I wish that they did more stories about history, but then again, it's kind of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, even with Oppenheimer, it's a phenomenal yeah. story, but then you're realizing from the like Native American perspective and those who lived in New Mexico, no one's talking about when they were dropping practice bombs, like how all these women had now have leukemia because of it. Like, is that Christopher Nolan's job to cover that? Like, where is that supposed to be covered? How do you know about it? So Beth, again, thank you so much. I end every episode with the final three questions. And the first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would that be? When we spoke earlier, like a what, month or so ago, I said it kind of changes daily, what kind of mood I'm in and what I, what, the, what the world impact is on me. Uh, but I think after this our discussion today, it's, it's pretty light, but be, you know, be yourself because everybody else is taken. And, uh, I could have not done that, said that, you know, when I was 20, in my twenties, thirties, forties, but now I feel like I'm secure enough that I know I I'm unique and everybody else is unique and try to uh, be open and empathetic and compassionate to everyone. I think that's a beautiful answer. The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? That was a, you know, thank goodness I looked at this. That That's a good question. And um, I, I got a, a deep one, not a deep one, but one I, I don't think I've ever shared publicly. And the other one is is a, a lighthearted. Um, speak about being on the only, you know, having a, being a female in sports marketing, uh, in the corporate world, uh, it was mid nineties and I had, I don't want to, um, drop names or anything. So I might accidentally, but that it's not the important thing because it's really on, it's on me. But so we had, I had, my job was to, um, 
we were in Paris and we're doing footlocker appearances and how, how tough was this? I went over a week to scout out everything and make sure. So I brought over these two big time converse endorsed NBA players. They got to bring a guest. One brought like his nine, nine year old nephew. And the other one brought his girlfriend at the time and his mother. So our little entourage and I was leading them around. I was the, you know, the scout team, making sure everything was going well and they got every, anything they needed. And um, like I said, in Paris, late in the mo- early in the morning, and we, you know, we had our little, of course we had our rooms clustered together. And I, I heard a huge loud argument, definitely bumping around and, and, uh, and again, it's mid-90s, and you, I'm like, gosh, what's going on? Then my phone rings, and this NBA player uh, girlfriend is saying, I want out, get me a flight out of here. So I'm up most of the night trying to get her out. But, you know, nothing flies domestic back until, like, that next afternoon. Well, back then it did. Worked on that. And I uh, couldn't get her out. So the next morning, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out. I'll get you out of here. And uh, we go down. It's like the four seasons in, in 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 Paris. We go down for breakfast. And his girlfriend had sunglasses on. And I never took them off the rest of the trip. And I was, yeah, and... um. And I, you know, I, I know I checked in with her. I had to, I mean, like, do you still want to go or whatever? Do you want your own room? Surely. I think I did. And, uh, it was hush hush. And, um, I came back and I, I love my, everybody I worked with at Converse. I, I feel like I felt comfortable enough to probably say, oh, we had a little issue, um, over there. But then, uh, a couple of weeks later, I got called in the president of Converse, legal dude, HR, two VPs, and they said, "Hey, uh, we need to tell you need you need to tell us what happened over there with J." And I, uh, I told the truth, and uh, but it coming out of my mouth, Mallory, it was like Charlie Brown's teacher. What it's it. it, it it was the truth by my point of view and my perspective, but it was so shallow. I was just like, just the facts, ma'am. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't handle that well. And uh, she was bringing suit to that player. And I guess that's about to be deposed. And I look back on that. Like I didn't know a what to do because I wasn't taught or trained in that obviously she had been hit and we kept on touring Paris and, and his mother was with him. Then we went to Munich. So I think about that. Oh, and the worst, not the worst part, but add insult to injury on my end, I go to the NBA all-star game and he had, he had made all-star team. And I was in the tunnel with colleagues and, Big time sponsors of the NBA and NBC. I mean, just you know, again, I'm, I'm one of the few women. And so they introduce, they come out of the tunnel, and I was standing right there by the tunnel, 
with all my big all access pass and uh he gets they put the spotlight on him and he turns around to me and pumps his chest you know and, and his heart and he points at me and everybody just thinks that's the coolest thing and I feel like I'm gonna throw up that was and I'm like wow so I walked right out of the tunnel took off my laminate my credentials and gave them to a guy on the loading dock I'd left I didn't want to have anything to do with it so you would want to go back and fix that situation in the moment which I think is so honorable or do better. I don't even know her name. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you can fix that situation, but maybe just say, "Stay with me" or something like. You also were never trained, and I think that's really telling. That right. Even if you are by professional athletes or celebrities, like you still companies, it's their responsibility to train employees for those kind of situations. And I hope that in today's day and age, as more stories like this have come out and especially with social media, it's harder to get away with things. Everyone has a camera phone that um, organizations take this more seriously than in years previous. You know, I grew up in Chicago during the Bulls era. I've heard stories about certain players and it was like a known fact. And I grew up in Highland Park where they all lived. So, you know, um, but I would also say if anyone's listening who's ever been in that experience and you're still in that experience, like tell someone, ask for help, because there are people who are willing to help. You're not alone. Yeah. So there's better infrastructure, hopefully better access, you know, mm-hmm. easier access and conversations going. Um, and I wanted to thank you, Mallory. That was a great question. And because it made me think, and I don't, I've never, I don't think I've ever, I think I have shared it with um, a smaller group of male coaches of football. And they, you could have hit up, you could have heard up, and drop, and then they For all, sure. they all found me at that later in that weekend to say, thank you for sharing that. I'm sure. And thank sure. you for asking that question because I looked up this dude, and nobody's gonna be surprised. I, I he, uh, he didn't get better at it. Well, yeah. he did, yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought I broke the case. Yeah. <laughs> No, I know. There was, a, there was a little element, Mallory, of I know at the time I was afraid I might lose my position. Look at there. We've got one female and she can't manage things over, you know, There, I know that was that element. Like, Oh, and I think that a lot of women in corporate America feel that every day it hasn't disappeared. And I mean, even look at what happened with the Harvey Weinstein like situation and that still didn't scare corporate America to do better. So I think it. I really appreciate you being open, honest and vulnerable sharing that because it does happen all the time and it does take people saying, I witnessed this and I wasn't trained and if you're an executive listening, think about next time you're thinking, how do you spend your HR dollars is how do you train others to either spot this, handle this, deal with and this the protocol and the protocol. Yeah. And the protocol. So you not only protect your employees, but you make sure that the situation is handled and not just brushed under the rug because God knows we all know that happens. Oh my goodness. Okay. The light one. Yeah. Let's hear that one. The WBCA helped a, a tournament down in, in uh, St. Thomas. Oh my God, that's not a hard one, right? Paradise Jam with Nels Hawkinson and basketball travelers. 
And Kenny Chesney has a place down there, as you probably know, if you're a Kenny Chesney fan. And he loves University of Tennessee. He went to East Tennessee State, but he loves University of Tennessee because he's from Knoxville. Long story short, Tennessee's down there. Pat goes, hey, Bass, come with us tomorrow. We're going. Kenny Chesney's asked us to come over to his house, send in his boat for us. And I didn't do it. <laughs> I had to get back to a meeting, but I did get the $100,000 from a sponsor. But that that one got me. It was hard to be an adult. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I get that for sure. Well, given he's a music artist, let's dive into the third question, which is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would you pick? It'd have to be uh, These Days by Natalie Merchant maybe the 10,000 maniacs when she was still with them. And, you know, it just talks about being kind and generous and how I'm very thankful for the opportunities and the people I've met and had a chance to work with and along this path. It, something just popped in my mind. Um, Pat Summit, when she, I might get this wrong, 1,061 win when she broke, you know, I think it was Coach K's uh, coaching record for wins, lifetime wins, career wins. And she said, I won't remember the 1,061 wins and losses. I won't remember the 13 SEC championships or the eight national titles. I'm going to remember the smiles and the the laughs and uh, the people in my life is what I'm going to remember. And I, I think that song kind of touches on that. No, I love that. I'm going to go ahead and add that to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist so listeners can hear that theme song along with all of our other guests. And Beth, this has been such a joy to talk with you. I'm so excited to stay in touch with you and know that you always have an invitation to come on the podcast and maybe we'll do like a special um, NCAA episode where we can talk about the teams or something along those lines in the future. I would love it. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. 